Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Gonna throw it. Slam. This bugs for you, Mizzou. And there he goes. How about number six? You don't get no better than that, man. This is the Mazodcast. Howdy, Tiger fans, and welcome to the Mazodcast. I'm your host, Brendan Anthony. With me, as always, or as sometimes, is the 22-year head coach of the Ohio Bobcats, Brian Goers. Great to be here. And not with us tonight, strangely, is uh, Colin Anthony, who he took a flight to Detroit, Michigan, because he thought that the game was actually being played in in Michigan. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, he... He wasted a lot of time and money and is unable to join us tonight. So, But we were here in town and able to watch the Missouri Tigers get their first win of 2016 against the Eastern Michigan Eagles. And so the Tigers are on the board 1-1 one and one in uh, in 2016 season. Brian, what were your thoughts? Well, I, you know, I think a lot of what we talk about tonight will we'll focus a lot on probably the negative because it's a, a blowout, and that's just kind of what you do in a blowout. I mean, the, but it feels good to finally just kick a team in the teeth yeah. that you're supposed to kick in the teeth. Yeah, I don't know how long it's been since we put a big number on anybody. It's been a couple of years. Cupcake or no. So it was, it was rewarding to me. I mean, yeah, there were a lot of negatives you could, you could pull out of it, and you really don't know what these big numbers translate to when we get into the SEC schedule. Right. But it just was cathartic to see big plays and an open offense and things like that. So I was, I was happy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Colin who said it last week that, you know, I just, I just hope we put up 55, mm-hmm. you know, just, just kick the crap. And we, you know, we did put up 61. That's yeah. Yeah. Thanks to a late, late game defensive play that we've got us a, yeah. <laughs> sort which, of a, which is our first defensive score of the year. Yeah. I mean, that's so right. That's, so yeah, the, some big news about the game, I think, is the, uh, the onslaught of Drew Locke who just looked really, honed in all game long I mean, even when he wasn't connecting on passes he was just barely missing or it was on the receivers with drops but he was going deep he was hitting his short shots he was doing everything right uh, this game and I think part of that is obviously eastern Michigan I think mm-hmm. they had a weak secondary uh the Did pass they protection have a secondary yeah. well oftentimes it didn't look like it but anyway he looks so good yeah. that uh, it got it's got to give you a confidence going into the rest of the season, at least with uh, with Locke maturing. Yeah, yeah. I think it, again, this is a game that I think everybody on the Tigers team needed, including Locke. Right? You just need one where you get to be the the king of campus because you ran up a score. Your stats look really great. He he broke his career high in passing in the first half. Right. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that, and, that just had, shows and you the career that, high was last week. So, right. Right. So that just shows you that, you know, he, he get, a, he got a chance to, to run a little bit and this is what you want, right? This is why all these coaches pay, you know, a million plus dollars to have these little teams that you've never heard of come play them is so that they get a chance to just kick the crap out of people, get, get some confidence building and, um, and, and work out some, some schemes and some, some of the things, right? So one thing that you saw this week, our long touchdown pass, which was actually a very short pass and long run, was the same thing that we complained about last week. It just, it worked this time, right? I mean, granted that was the, that was probably our opponent more than anything, but those little, those little throws out to the flats, those bubble screens and wide receiver screens that, you know, he broke one for 87 yards and, and, you can do that against a team like this. You get that confidence so that you know how to run that. Then when next week we run that against Georgia and you pick up hopefully seven yards, you know, not 87 yards, but it's that type of confidence building and learning is what the Tigers really needed. Yeah. And another thing that I, I think we were able to take away from it is that, uh, you know, last week, Jamon Moore got a tremendous amount of those receptions Yes, and lock spread it around tonight. In fact, I think they set a team record. They had five different, uh, receivers catching a touchdown pass and i think six total players got into the end zone so it was a they, it was really a team effort on the offensive yeah. side of the ball so and that was a really a nice thing to see because i was worried that it was going to be just the jamon moore and chris black show and whenever we got into better defended teams they'd cover those guys and then we'd be inept but uh, jonathan johnson was really a standout i think for this game and and his performance on the punt return as well as his, like you mentioned, that long reception. Yeah. And he is fast. That guy can move. Yeah. yeah. So I got a real boner for the future when I watched him play. And also we got to see a lot more Crockett because Alex Ross got uh, injured early in the game. And so it was the Witter and Crockett show for most of the night. And he looks really good too. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, you mentioned something right there, injuries that is a little bit of a concern. I mean, we lost... Two guys tonight, two important mm-hmm. players tonight. That I say lost just for the game. I think they were probably pulled just to make sure they were going to be okay. But also, Culkin didn't suit up for this game because of an ankle injury. So mm-hmm. that that's definitely a concern going forward. And yeah, you're right. We had ten different receivers catch a pass. Five of those ran in for score, and then we had two rushing touchdowns as well. So certainly lots and lots of offense, but. That's what I think. That's what you're going to see when you you have an up offense or an up tempo offense against a team that I think weren't they last year? They're like the worst team in FBS. I think something yeah. like that. Yeah. So it, I well, mean, well, Brian, they they almost disbanded their football. Yeah, program that's in right. April. No, uh, I believe their athletic director said that you know no question they were going to have a football yeah, team. The next fact year. that that needs to be well reiterated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think one thing that is important to note is in these up tempo offenses. That means we get more touches, but it also means the other teams get more touches too. So we gave up more points than I think most Tiger fans would have liked to have seen from mm-hmm. an Eastern Michigan team in 21. Right. But I, I don't know that we're – one, we don't have the defense that we had a year ago, much less two years ago or three years ago. And two, if you play up-tempo, that's just what's going to happen. I mean, if you if you get give yourself – Last week, I don't know what it was this week. Last year, last week we had a hundred touches or something like that. Mm-hmm. So if you give, it was, it was almost half that this week. It was like in the fifties. So I mean, you give yourself that many, the other team's going to get them too, and you can have a scenario which we did a couple times tonight where you pick up first down or two first downs, and yet you're still off the field in a minute. 
Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that's just nuts. And then your defense has got to come back on. So it, it's kind of that whole live with the sword, die with the sword type of a, a an issue when it comes to our offense. So, but the good news is the offense was looking, looking better. Mm-hmm. Another question I'd have though, is where was Chris Black? I mean, yeah, we we didn't see much of him until the very end of the game, and it was on returns. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, he, we, he looks so good in the first game. At this, at the end of the game, maybe that's when he shows up, as in the fourth quarter. That's true. But uh, but yeah, it, he was not part of the uh, the assault as much. Ray Wingo, we got a good look at him. We like mentioned Jonathan Johnson. Yeah. Dolosa got a couple catches. So we really spread the ball around. But then Jamal Moore, I think he had what two receptions for the whole game. So the yeah. two guys who were getting all the snaps or all the passes last week were the quiet ones so who knows hopefully that was just part of a scheme knowing that we're going to be blowing out this team that they just threw in some of the younger guys some of the guys to help build that confidence and looked at chris and and more and just decided like they didn't need as many touches i don't i don't know but i i hope that's not an issue going forward because we all we got really excited that we actually had a receiver that we thought would be better than more mm-hmm. is i think is better than more i do too um but i don't know if they're not going to use him i don't know what's going to happen well i mean but then also if jonathan johnson also fills that role as well yeah. Yeah. then i think if a drew lock with reliable targets is a dangerous thing yeah because he his accuracy i think is just getting better and better and yeah. and after tonight his confidence is through yeah. the roof so I'm, I'm getting more and more confident in our offense and like you said earlier less and less confident about that defense Oof, because it, it wasn't just the 21 points that eastern michigan put up it was just the fact that they were so porous and i just feel like those medium level passes it's like we don't even have linebackers on the field sometimes i just think they're just confused about their assignments frankly and then the real disconcerting thing about the the lack of that d-line zoo that we've become so familiar with over the last few years that they're just not putting pressure on the quarterback yeah they're allowing big gaps in the running game and and then and then of course penton going out who was clearly our best defender in the last two weeks there's not a lot of real positives to take i mean that's been a little harsh maybe i mean we did have a Penton early almost had a pick six. Yeah. And then we guess we did have a pick six late in the game. That was kind of a, a gimme. But, uh, you know, so they they forced a few turnovers and did some things. But, you know, it's been but don't break shit doesn't work real well when you get into LSUs of the world. Mm-hmm. Or Georgia. Or Georgia. So, you know, we, Eastern Michigan is not the caliber of team that if they're going to score 21, you expect Georgia to double it, you know. So, yeah. I, I don't know what to think about them, and and I my only little kernel of hope that I have is that is that Barry Odom is a defensive guy, and he recognizes the problems well before I do. Sure. And uh, but you know, and and I'm not ready to to call for crosses firing just yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to see a lot of yeah. about it, yeah. but but it's well too early to to talk like that, but. Man, it is a little disappointing, and it is a little disheartening to yeah. see the defense being so sluggish. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think part of that's just we're so used to a certain level of defense that anything other than that is is unacceptable to Mizzou fans, especially up front. Yeah, and Harris, the disappearance of Harris has has been super concerning because but a couple of things. I mean, one, I, th- I think a big part of it is he lost. You know, on the other end, 
He had a just stellar. We had such a good defensive line that they couldn't. You couldn't really concentrate on one person and say, "I'm going to stop this defensive end." Right? I mean, you had to worry about all four on our defensive line. Well, you don't have to worry about all four anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think that probably some of that is you know you can chip with a running back and do some of these things to, to zone in on the one or one or two guys that you're most afraid of on the line. Well, it's a lot harder to do that when you've got four guys you're afraid of on the line. But also, I mean, we did change schemes. You could see it. You know, our defensive ends stand up now and yeah. rush standing yeah. up, and that's a change. And I'm just I wonder if Harris just is not doesn't fit into that change because i mean we saw his first two his first two plays he, he was off sides both times i think like yeah. i don't he's always wanted to like anticipate the snap and he's traditionally he's been very good at that but uh yeah he started off obviously off and, and it was getting fooled by uh some hard snap counts early in the game but yeah and then, and then you know later on i'd see him try to make a spin move and he just didn't have the quickness yeah. that he's shown in the past i just don't I feel like there may be something going on there that we don't know about because he was such a force last year. Yeah. And so I don't know. There's a lot of things that we could chalk it up to, but at this point I don't know what it is. So, you know, the other thing that's really concerning to me is that uh, the kicking game. Mm. We had uh, two different kickers miss extra points tonight, and we we didn't attempt any field goals. But the reality is at some point we're going to really need field goals, close games. Yeah. And we don't have a reliable kicker right now. Yeah. And on top of everything else, we just can't afford that. And, you know, a lot of people were talking about, you know, how Andrew Baggett got shit on a lot. And yeah. I, I don't remember. I don't know if we ever did that or not. Do you, Brian? Well, I, I don't. I vaguely remember something about a Baggett full of shit. No, I thought we said gold. Was that what it was? No, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But let's uh, go back in the archives. <laughs> yeah, pull those up. But but uh, people were saying, well, maybe people took Andrew Baggett for granted because college kickers can be pretty unpredictable, and that is true. But I mean, if you want to have a good football team, you expect to have good players. Yeah. So I want a good fucking kicker for God's sakes. Yeah, and and the the inexcusable part are the extra points. I mean, it's one thing if yeah. you miss a a forty yard field goal, you can chalk that up to five or six different things, you can't miss an extra point. The kickers who mix extra points, they they play for Eastern Michigan. You know, mm-hmm. They don't play for an SEC school. They just don't. You just have to be able to find a kicker who can kick an extra point. Like that, those are the inexcusable pieces that, that is the most alarming. I mean, if mm-hmm. you can push one that far right, and it's not like you just drilled it low and someone got a hand up and was blocked. I mean, you just flat missed twice. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I keep chalking it up to the yips. Like he's, he's young and I, I think, I think he's got, he's obviously it's in his head and kicking is a head game, you yeah. know, as much as it a foot one. I think maybe he doesn't realize he's got as much time to do the place kicking as he, cause, because he's not showing that sort of inconsistency on kickoffs. Yeah. Oh, he's not, got the leg. Yeah. I mean, he puts it through the back of the so end zone. Every I think time. he's, I just think he's rushing everything because he's seeing these. Th- 300 pound guys in front of him and not high school kids you know and so he's not following through on his mechanics like he ordinarily would but he's got he doesn't have time to figure it out either he's got to to immediately start doing that yeah but i you know he knocked a few in later and i think those are the type of things that's just going to take reps right which is again why you schedule these teams right so he got to kick a lot of extra points tonight yeah and and that that was definitely a good thing yeah another thing that jumped out on me that that i just when i saw it i just shook my head I don't understand the obsession with trying to run your quarterback mm. up the middle 
in a goal line situation. I know that was that was probably one of the things that infuriated me the most in this game because a it was early and we didn't know the outcome what was going to be yet and two we a and two we mm. we saw it last week and it was a horrible 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 option that didn't work so yeah. we're going to do it again. <laughs> Nothing irritates yeah. me with coaches more than than fool me once shame on you fool me twice I'm an idiot. <laughs> And yet we see it time and time again, and then it really, really, really backfired this week as yeah. we coughed up the football. I don't at the goal line. I mean, I guess in those situations, you'd hope you'd be able to get your offensive line to push so you could pick up one yard, regardless of where you are, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you that that's something you absolutely want. But if I remember right, too, in that that situation, we were on like the two and a half. Like it wasn't like yeah. it was just inches away. So, oh, quick, hold the ball over there, you know, and see if you can push it over the goal line and then pull it back type of a situation. Right. It was, now you're going to have to like hard nose run. And we've got, I don't remember who, if it was you with the Mazadcast or someone else, but like we have a 350 pound fullback. Mm-hmm. Who's not really a fullback, but that doesn't matter. Three hundred fifty pounds. Just turn around and hand the ball off to him. And you know what? We, we've done we've done the Augusta play now twice, I guess. Yeah. And one fake, and every one of those plays has been successful. So why not do it? Yeah. I mean, it did seem like the perfect opportunity to bust out the big bear Augusta. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe he just hurts the offensive lineman when he lands on them. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe and they just like they audible because they're like, I can't do it. I can't take another one of an Augusta flop on my back. And dating back to last year, one of the things that Drew Locke is truly not good at are designed runs. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Remember last year he took, he mishandled snaps and this year he's fallen on, tripped over his own feet and fumbled the ball. This is not a skill set in which he possesses, yet it is something we continually try. And I think, I think Hypo really wants it to work because it would be a part of this scheme, this tempo offense. That he's building, yeah. But he's just not that kind of quarterback. And I think at least Heupel is modifying it. We're throwing a lot. Yeah. And because we have a good throwing quarterback. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, Xanders is a better built quarterback for this style of play. What Heupel's trying to do. It's just you can't put him in uh, because – you know exactly Locke, what he's going to do. Yeah, it, I mean, he can't lead the offense because Locke is clearly the better player, yeah, the yeah. the better athlete. But but if Sanders were the number one quarterback, he would be the better fit for this yeah. strategy. Well, and that gets into which coaches struggle with, I think, all the time. And I'd I'd love to find we might have to do some research to see if we can find Barry Odom's comments on any, any of this type of stuff. But scheme versus fit, right? I mean, so. Mm-hmm. Do you have the players so you can run the scheme or do you have the scheme and you try to build the players into it as best you can? And and it's that's a balance, I think, an art that some coaches do really well and others don't. My my biggest concern tonight about Locke is you're right. I mean, Locke is a good throwing quarterback. And he and I think the thing is he's going to be a really good throwing quarterback, assuming he continues to progress, which was Mock's issue. Is he right. just never progressed. So he's got all the mechanics. He makes the throws. There's one pass, which the commentators, who were terrible tonight, but actually picked up on, was he threw one down by the goal line on just like a simple kind of 10-yard out and in type of a thing or something. And and he threw the ball before the receiver made his break and while the defender was still on the side that the ball was going to come to at the break. And it was like the most perfect thrown ball I think I've seen a Missouri quarterback make 
in a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. in a long time. And it, I was so impressed by it. But my issue with tonight is that they took so many deep shots. It was like, okay, yeah, our receivers can run past these these guys because they suck. I mean, the mm-hmm. corners who are coming out of yeah, they were overmatched, Canada, clearly. probably. I don't know where they're coming from. That's not going to happen against Georgia. What I really would have liked to have seen is a whole bunch of those shorter passes just to build that and continue that progression with Mock or with well, with Locke. Well, it's it's all kind of like the debate Colin and I had, where I I you know said, well, you you don't learn much from these games, and he says he didn't care because he just wants the confidence yeah. boost, and this definitely gave the receivers a confidence boost as yeah. well as Locke because yeah. those successful deep routes, those fly patterns weren't we never gotten to work. You know, we just yeah. either they didn't get a step or they dropped the ball or you know well, that's one thing. I mean, we they, there were drops. But a lot of the big plays were made, yeah, and and some yeah. really good catches were made. So it was just a there was just a whole string of things that went better. And yes, we can chalk a lot of that up to lesser competition, but I'd like to think that we can chalk some of it to just genuine improvement on our and and yeah. just I don't know, but just generally better. I think I think there was some. I, I, I see what you're saying. I think there was some, but I I. Don't think we should get too far ahead of ourselves. And this is what I was saying at the the beginning of the show tonight was that there's no winning from these games because I, yes, we get a W on the, on the scoreboard and you know, it feels good at the moment. But then when you start breaking them down, there's so many, like all the issues that were there against West Virginia were actually still there mm-hmm. tonight. You know, we still couldn't tackle and we were playing no. Eastern Michigan. We still had drops. Our offensive line looked better. I will say that. You know, there's probably nothing too bad you could say about them tonight. Um, but again, that's probably a lot of the, the, the competition piece. And I mean, so a lot of the like red flags, if you will, that existed last week existed again this week. And I just think it's going to be a full season before we get to a point that, okay, now we're seeing market improvement from where we were, right? I mean, game to game, I hope that we continue to improve even if we're getting losses. I still think, I think that four wins is what we should expect out of this team. I know that that seems super low, but when yeah, you when you look at this low. when you look at the schedule, I think that the way that they played last week and assuming some of these teams that look really good now don't just completely fall off. Four or five wins is is I think where we're going to be. I think god Brian, I do feel like that's the most pessimistic outlook you could have because we saw uh our saw Middle Tennessee play they had they yeah. went up against Vanderbilt, and so, so we've got we got two more non-conference games that seem entirely winnable. Kentucky has looked like hot, hot garbage this entire year so far. And and I'm not convinced about Vanderbilt. I mean, I'm not ready to chalk Vanderbilt up as a sure loss. Yeah. And and frankly, I think South Carolina sucks. So I mean, I see yeah. a quick five wins out of this entire team. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I, I mean, I think that anything less than a six win bowl eligible season is, is a, uh, is a failure because really, well, of course, yeah. I mean, we were five and seven last year and we were terrible, we just terrible. And in a way it's the same sort of problem where we had one unit that was playing well and one unit that didn't play at all. But last year it was the defense and the offense wasn't working. And now this year it looks like the offense is working and the defense isn't working. But the difference is the offense was historically bad last year. And, and the we're not seeing historically good though too. I the mean, defense, the, yeah, the defense uh, they weren't was... historically good, but they were they were kept them in games. I mean, we still got they we still got beat up pretty good by Mississippi State and Tennessee and yeah. But, but there were there were what five games where we lost 
but we held our opponent to like 10 points or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but we the fact is we couldn't get in the end zone. I, yeah. From what I've seen so far, and I've seen a loss to a good team and a win to a bad team, sure. we're a better team this year, and we're more cohesive this year. We had a whole bunch of shit going on last year. And, yeah, I mean, I absolutely expect – I'd love to see seven wins. I think that may be unrealistic, but I think we have every reason to expect six wins. Yeah, I think you're nuts if you think that we're going to get close to seven wins. I, I, And don't get me wrong. There is, Glad we're recording this Yeah, right. for future hot takes. Yeah, yeah. So I've, <laughs> I imagine someone's going to go back and, and look at this at the end of the year, and one of us is going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And Colin will be the one that's right. The thing of the – my biggest takeaway is – Last year's defense was so good, and the defense has regressed so much, and the offense hasn't improved. It, it has improved, but it hasn't improved so much that sort of the net result is going to be worse than last year. Mm. And that's not to say that the games are going to be worse because the games were so hard to watch last year. Mm-hmm. They were just so hard to watch. Even right. games we were hanging in were just so, so hard to watch. I'm, I'm not saying that. I think that the games will hopefully be more entertaining to watch and it'll be more competitive. And I think we could probably beat a South Carolina if we start clicking. And I think we could beat Vandy if we start clicking. But from what I've seen from the first two weeks, it gives me pause to say like this is going to be a longer term rebuilding project than a simple, well, we'll just get a couple games under our belt and this will start going better and that'll start going better. I know that's, that's what I want. I want that to happen. I just... I don't know because the defense, it's just, we've talked about this. I don't know where the thing is. It's, it's not, you know, we retweet the night. If you follow the Mazadcast on Twitter at Mazadcast, somebody tweeted back or we, we were tweeting about the, you know, what's going on with the defense. Somebody tweeted back that it was just coaching and the scheme. And definitely we've got a new scheme, but I think a big part of it is just the, the personnel. We just, we don't tackle all of a sudden where guys are just disappearing. I don't, it just, I don't know how much that is the scheme versus and coaching versus just talent pools a little bit less than what it used to be. And sort of the net result is all around. I mean, our best defensive player last year was right in the center of the middle of the field and we don't have him anymore. So it just, I think it's going to be a longer season than we want it to be. But I've, I'm also kind of okay with that because it's Barry Adams' first year and I'm willing to give him a couple years to to build something. So you've heard it here first. Zuri's coming off a 40-point victory and Brian's predicting four wins. So (laughs) I think it's about time we took a break, Brian, and uh, come back. We do have uh, Coach Odom on the line to tell us a little bit about his thoughts on tonight's big win and looking ahead to Georgia. So until then, this is the Mazodcast. Don't throw that used cell phone away. Sell it to Midmo iFix. Midmo iFix buys and sells used cell phones that include a 30-day warranty. So if you lost your phone overboard, the screen's cracked, or the phone's broken, stop into Midmo iFix and see Kevin. And if you have no use for that old phone, turn it into cash. Midmo iFix, located next to Emo's Pizza on Osage Beach Parkway. 573-694-8795. Midmo iFix. Phones fixed fast. Can't believe you're still listening to this shit. The Mazodcast. Joining us now, Mizzou head coach Barry Odom after his first victory 
at Faroe Field over Eastern Michigan. Thanks for joining us, Barry. Hey, boys. Thanks for having me. Well, what's it feel like to now have a big win under your belt? It feels good, man. It feels, it feels real good. We, we absolutely kicked the hell out of them boys. They didn't know what hit them. I'll tell you what hit them. The new Tigers hit them. <laughs> what are you doing now? How are you celebrating? Oh, I'm down in, I'm downtown. I'm pounding some stag, brother. You know how it goes. <laughs> I felt like I knew where that answer was going to go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What did you see that you really liked, and what do you think you got to improve on for next week against Georgia? Well, uh, let me tell you what. Now, Drew Lott played like a like a grown goddamn man right now. He uh, he was hitting guys now. We still got some trouble with them receivers in their hands, and obviously DeMonte's got some work to do with D, but by God, the Tigers kicked the hell out of somebody. Well, another area that uh, we had some question marks about was the uh, kicking game. We missed two extra points. You put in a yeah, different... Oh, you, you don't, don't worry about that, boys. Don't you worry about that. I'm me. I'm going to take care of Tucker. I am a little worried about it. That little Irish prick's going to come around. Yeah. Wait, what, Barry Oldham's going to fucking stomp a mud hole in it. Well, yeah, what are you going to do, Coach? How are you going to get them to improve? Oh, I'm just going to you know, threaten physical violence until he comes around, mm-hmm. you know, basically. Do you find that effective with uh, special teams guys? Well, listen now, we're talking about kicker here, boys, and I'm we're talking about a middle linebacker talking to a kicker. I'm going to tell that young man how it's going to be, and uh, if he don't get on board, well, then he's going to be in real trouble. Let's just put it that way. You got Nick Chubb next week with Georgia, and with the defense not being at 100%, what are your expectations about Georgia? Uh, you know what, boys? That, that guy's named after a cock. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Nick? I mean, yeah, Nick fucking Chubb, are you kidding me? Named after a dick. We'll be all right. We're going to be all right. We're going to get this defensive line sorted out. We're going to take care of old Nick. Yeah, well, when he first came into Columbia, it was his first game. It was a real coming out party, and he really tore us up two years ago. So, yeah, a lot of people. Listen, man, hey, listen, if it gets too bad, I still got my jersey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. I got a a year of eligibility left, as far as I can tell, from the NCAA. Not sure that's how that works. Worst comes to worst, Barry will take care of it. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess that's an always an option. I hadn't considered it. Well, consider it, because Barry Odom knows how to play middle linebacker. Well, we know that's the case. Charles Harris, I was going to ask you about him. Second straight game, only two tackles, uh, no sacks. Uh, what's going on there on the defensive end position? Are we going to see the old Charles Harris, or what's going on? Man, I don't know. Man, I just don't absolutely do not know. We're going to have to talk old Chuck after the game. Yeah. Uh, something, something ain't right. Something ain't right. That's for sure. I agree with you, boys. You can't. You can't deny it. Uh, something wrong with Chuck. But uh, I'm going to have a couple more stags. I'm going to think about it. We're going to come up with a plan. One positive, uh, well, a couple positives, but one one particularly, Jonathan Johnson, the young receiver, really performed well tonight. Punt return for a touchdown, another long screen pass he, he took for a touchdown. Uh, he looks like he's a real playmaker. Yeah, that boy's faster than a 16-year-old but getting a hand job. I mean, he is absolutely... That guy's slick, man. He's he's got some moves. We're excited about him. He's been showing up in practice. He's been showing up. You know, he's been doing. He's been flashing. He's been doing good things. We're excited about him. Mm-hmm. The offense looked pretty good tonight. What adjustments did you and uh, Coach Henson make? Coach Heupel. Heupel. Henson's not. Henson's on. not on the. Yeah, I want to say. Yeah, I wouldn't. It's one of the I first things he did. Coach Henson to cut my fucking grass. But <laughs> no, uh, no, it looked good. I, I think you know it's important to to not you know. Change quarterbacks in the middle of successful drives. I think we fixed that. Yeah. Just, you know, receivers caught the fucking ball, boys. I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So that's – and, of course, Drew, he shows you why he's going to he's gonna play in the league. He's got an arm, makes some fucking throws that people just don't make. A lot of – big percentage of human beings don't make, that, make those throws. Mm-hmm. But, but by God, Drew Locke makes them. 
Crockett looked good too after uh, Alex Ross dinged his ankle. Uh, we saw a lot more of him. And yeah, well, Crockett, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. He's gonna be all right. He's gonna be all right. We're excited about him. He's got some moves. He's slick, you know. So, uh, you know, we'll keep feeding him rock, you know, him and Ish. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't, so far it don't look like, you know, Ross is going to be too banged up. Strong got a little time. We're looking like he can, he can carry a little of that load. So, you know, all things are looking good when it comes to the running back position. Coach, I'm going to let you get back to celebrating. I know you got a lot of stag in front of you. So, uh, get ready for Absolutely. Georgia. I'm ready, brother. Okay. Thanks so much, Z-O-U. Well, Brian, what did you think of Coach Odom, what he had to say? You know, he's always more entertaining than I think he's going to be. He always opens up with us so much. Yeah, yeah. And I know we've kicked it around off off the air of uh, putting together a little stag drive Mm -hmm. to send send to the stadium or send to his office. Oh, yeah, we should mention that. that, that, uh, October 21st, that is the Friday before homecoming game, we are wanting to have the first annual Send Barry Stag Night. Yeah, that's what Brian's referring to. And uh, what we'd like to do is that we will be, and we'd like to invite you to do the same, going over to the uh, Matsy, they call it, the Missouri Athletic Training Complex, and delivering to uh, his assistant upstairs, I believe her name's Carol, and taking a case, a 12-pack, a 6-pack, whatever your budget allows, a mm. 40-ouncer mm. of Stag beer, as we all know Coach's favorite, and delivering it to him before the homecoming game. And we mean this. So all of you out there, you know where you can get some good stag beer at your local convenience store. It's pretty easy. If you're in the Columbia area, even if you're not, head on over there Friday before the game, anytime, and take Coach Odom's stag. So we got a month to really organize this and get the word out. So we need your help to uh, bring Barry stag night. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I mean, yeah. I think I think he's going to be really appreciative as well, which should, is which yeah. is the most important. Part. I hope he's not listening to this because I'd like it to be a surprise. That's a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, well, it's post his interview, so he's probably just went ahead and went to bed. But yeah, I imagine so. I don't know if he's in bed. I think he's going to party pretty hard tonight. But think so. You know, just from yeah. his attitude, it seemed like he might be doing that. He's going to be out with Drew and and Corey. <laughs> so anyway, do get the word out. If you run into Coach Odom, don't tell him. But October 21st, that's the big night. Barry's first homecoming. Get him, let's get him all the stag he can drink because we know he can put them away. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on to a little business here, Brian. We've got, uh, I think we've got a little Kansas news. Well, I always heard there were three kinds of suns in Kansas. Sunshine, sunflowers, sons of bitches. This is Kansas News. Let's get to our first story. Kansas bank robber, age 70, chooses prison over home and wife. (laughs) A 70-year-old man charged with robbing a Kansas bank said he did it because he preferred a jail cell over living with his wife. Lawrence John Ripple is charged in a federal court with the Friday afternoon robbery of the Bank of Labor in Kansas City, Kansas. According to court documents, Ripple handed a teller a note that read, I have a gun, give me money. The teller complied, but instead of fleeing, Ripple took the money and then took a seat in the bank's lobby. Wow! According to documents, <laughs> at least go spend some of it before you know the police show up. Like I'll be down at the ice cream shop. Just tell, so just send him there. You know, <laughs> when, yeah. When a bank security guard approached him, Ripple told the guard, "I'm the guy you're looking for." <laughs> the guard took the money from Ripple and held him until police arrived, which wasn't long because the police headquarters is on the same block. Well, he picked that one strategically. Mm-hmm. 
when he was questioned later by investigators, Ripple told him that he and his wife had argued and he no longer wanted to be in that situation, according to the documents. Ripple wrote out his demand note in front of his wife and told her he'd rather be in jail than at home. An FBI agent wrote an affidavit filed in support of the robbery charge. So my question is, is she an accessory <laughs> at that point? <laughs> good, good question, because that could be the real you know, lose-lose is she has to go to jail with him. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, that, that's his punishment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that guy got his wish, I guess. New jobs report is utter disaster for Kansas. There's not a shocker. A new July jobs report Fridays is an utter disaster for Kansans and embattled Governor Sam Brownback. Here are the lowlights. The state lost 5,600 jobs from June to July. The state had 5,000 jobs? <laughs> Great point. Over the last year, Kansas actually shed 4,500 jobs. Sunflower State's growth rate over the last 12 months has been minus 3%. Fifth worst in the nation, only behind Wyoming, North Dakota, Louisiana, Oklahoma. Kansas had a stunning 600 fewer jobs than when Brownback's second term started back in January of 2015. And Kansas is nowhere close to adding the 2,000 jobs a month that Brownback promised in his re-election bid. Now, all of this is bad news for Brownback, who's recently been blaming the media for, the, uh, for bad news spreading. But here are the facts. The information was released by the Kansas Department of Labor and Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics. These numbers are not being made up by the media. They are not the result of some group out to get Brownback. The governor has stated for more than four years that income tax cuts he signed in 2012 would have an explosion in jobs, which has not happened. Meanwhile, across the state line in Missouri, the state added 2,100 jobs in the last month. And over the last year, the Show Me State has gained 21,000 jobs, uh, a growth rate of 0.8%. That's still below average, but this is what, written in the article, I'm not et- um, editorializing here, mm-hmm. at least Missouri is not cancer <laughs> i can't agree more you know we really can't and i would say my my two biggest takeaways from that is one don't worry the next next month's job report is going to be look a lot nicer because number two they're all going to be unemployed soon mm-hmm. well um i imagine another job uh, that will be open soon is kansas football team because that's sort of a revolving door job that always needs to be filled <laughs> kansas man harassed blogger sent sexual pictures to others Lawrence, Kansas. Police say Kansas man charged with harassing a New Zealand fashion blogger also sent sexual pictures to other people. A recent released arrest affidavit says social media accounts of a 19-year-old Kaleem Lloyd Dowell had been blocked by more than two dozen times. He faced a single misdemeanor charge of harassment by telecommunications device in Douglas County. The criminal charge was filed eight months ago after blogger Rachel Gromback contacted police about inappropriate pictures she had received on her Instagram account. The affidavit said Dow would create new accounts when she attempted to block his. A different Lawrence resident has offered to pay a substantial portion of her travel fees if she needs to come to the United States to testify. So that sounds like a guy who needs a fucking life. Yeah, I just move out of Kansas, buddy, and then or, you won't have to like look on Instagram for that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. You could just walk around and see like real women. life women. Yeah, yeah, I mean that yeah, obviously they don't have any there that are worth harassing. Traffic jam forces sheriff to close access to Kansas Sunflower Farm. Oh, no. An eastern Kansas sunflower farm was so popular on Labor Day that law enforcement closed access to it after cars were backed up several miles in order to get a glimpse of the state's botanical symbol. 
The Kansas City Star reported that Grintner Farm in Leavenworth County had drawn huge weekend crowds as the 40 acres of sunflowers reached its peak in late August and early September. But a combination of nice weather and the Labor Day holiday, so many cars lined up along US 4024 that the county sheriff closed off access. A message left on the farm's Facebook page apologized to those who drove all the way out to see the sunflowers before being turned away. It encourages visitors to return next week. So popular are those sunflowers. Yeah, you know. Oh my God, I'd wait for hours, that and makes, days. It makes me feel bad because, especially if you come from a long distance, those tractors don't drive that fast. Yeah, and yeah. so I can imagine. And plus, the, could you imagine the noise all backed oh. up? All those tractors. Just well, a lot of them there. were horse and buggies, and they're very quiet. That's a good point. That's a good point. But so. you have to bring if you're going to be waiting that long. They didn't bring any feed with them that's or water. True. You know, I mean, that's the sad thing to me is that it's their one thing. <laughs> It's that's what they have. Yeah. They've got fucking sunflowers. And the crazy thing to me is why do you need to go out? Like what do you expect? You're gonna go look out in a field of sunflowers and they're not moving or doing anything. Like you're just gonna look at them and be like, Yep, there they are. Mm-hmm. All right, Ma, hop back in the tractor. We got to go home now. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem that exciting to me. But then again, I'm not from Kansas. That's right. I was gonna, if that's between that and staring at tumbleweed, I mean, at least you get to go stare at some flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True enough. True enough. So, anyway, that'll do it for Kansas news, except for one more thing. Kansas had a football game this week. Yep. Even though they, you would like to see their program, all their programs, I guess, disappear, they still mm-hmm. are here. And remember, last last week triumphant victory as, as fans of this show would know is they uh destroyed the university of rhode island still did not confirm whether the university of rhode island has a football stadium by mm-hmm. the way yeah. and so the kansas fans rushed the field which is a good thing that they rushed the field in week one because week two for the second home game they were defeated by the university of ohio <laughs> Well, the University of Ohio, they're a highly ranked top 25 Division One program. Is that right? So you're thinking of The Ohio State. Oh, okay. So yeah. th- that's not them. No. Okay. This so. is the team that everybody else beats. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, that's bad then. That's an embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. It's it's tough. I think the fans were hoping, you know, two weeks in a row, two rushes, rushing the fields in a row. You know, the 40 or so people were really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, they're going to have to wait because... Well, let's be honest. I've, I'm not seeing another win on their schedule. No. So. Well, they've got one, so they can really pack it in because it's already been a big that's, improvement over that's last true. year. That's true. Their head coach probably is getting a raise mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, long, long-term contract. Lock him in. Massive increase over last season. So, anyway, well, I mean, sad news there on the football field, but can't say it's unexpected. So this has been Kansas News. Well, Brian... Let's get to, I guess, more impressive football, which is any other team in the country. But particularly, I think we should follow our brethren over there in the Southeastern Conference. And let's do a little bit of Around the Horn. Jesus loves football. What's on the docket this week? Okay, well, we had some games that I think we were all looking forward to, to to see what the score would get to, and I'll get to those. But no really big... Uh, matchups this week that mm-hmm. were supposed to be big, I guess is what I should say. So Texas A&M just destroyed whoever the heck they played, mm-hmm. PVA&M, 67 <laughs> to nothing, which, ouch. Alabama did its Alabama thing on Western Kentucky. Ole Miss took care of business against Wofford. 
Vanderbilt put up 47 points against Middle Tennessee. Yeah. So those are two of our opponents this year. What did Middle Tennessee, what was their final score? It was uh, 47-24. Mm-hmm. So actually looking good for the Tigers, at least when we have to play Middle Tennessee. For homecoming, Brett, that's right after Barry gets his stag. So the stag's going to come in handy when he celebrates that first homecoming mm-hmm. win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the plan. Yeah. And then it, Auburn beat Arkansas State fairly handedly. LSU took care of business against Jacksonville State. Obviously, Missouri uh, won against Eastern Michigan. Now to the more interesting matchup. So there were two SEC, all SEC games, if you will. Florida beat down Kentucky for like the hundredth time in a row right. or something. And, and handily, right? Yes, 45-7. to seven. Mm-hmm. And Mississippi State. See, there's a win for the Tigers. I think we Against can beat, Kentucky? I think we can beat Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, looking good after today's. Uh, Mississippi State who obviously struggled last week, mm-hmm. bounced back by beating the mighty South Carolina Gamecocks, 27-14. Yeah, 14 points for the Gamecocks, also on our schedule. Yep. But then the last, really, three games, because because there are three games, that were of interest to us, mm-hmm. that we had circled, was your favorite uh, SEC team, the Tennessee Volunteers. Mm-hmm. Took on Virginia Tech and actually beat them fairly handedly after starting to – they started out a little slow. The game started, uh, I think it was like 14 nothing, and the Volunteers rallied 45-24. And then one game that we didn't expect to be this way would be Georgia. So right. Georgia was playing Nichols, who I don't know that anybody's ever heard of. Nichols and, State, yeah. And won 26-24. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really tight one. I mean, it barely won. And I watched a lot of that game. Kind of came down to the end, too, yeah. where yeah. If, if, you know they didn't pick up one more first down. That they, oof. That's the thing about this East Division right now. It is weak. I mean, the top teams are, I think, you know, Colin's been high in Florida, and the way it's looking, that might be the smart money right now. I mean, ten, I know Tennessee won, ended up winning big, but they started out slowly again, and Georgia looked very bad all through this game, and I really thought, even going late, that they might blow it, but they managed to sneak it out. Yeah, I thought Georgia was going to be the prohibitive favorite to come out of the East, but man, if this was week one, you'd chalk that up to being it's week one. Right. But week two, I don't know, you don't expect that. Well, the one last game, which was the most exciting, I think, actually in the SEC, and, and one that makes the SEC look so much better, which the SEC needed, uh, Arkansas took on fifteen number 15 TCU, mm-hmm. and in double overtime, knocked them off 41-38. to 38. That was a pretty exciting game. Uh, the TCU was set up to, to win with a game-winning field goal which was blocked and sent it into overtime. And then, yeah, the double overtime, um, it was it was a barn burner. Ar- Arkansas kind of gave TCU a few opportunities to, to take that win, and they, uh, they opted out. Yeah. Well, and, and it's an important win, if for no other reason, that last week the SEC went 7-7. Seven and seven. Right. And this week the SEC won all of its – obviously you can't necessarily win when you're playing – yourself but all of its um out of conference conference games games. and this was definitely the biggest of those because everybody just expected tcu to roll over arkansas because arkansas is not right you know not not right not an sec powerhouse or not expected to be one and Mm -hmm. so it's a good win for the conference definitely something i think is going to help boost and and again so if the tigers can pull it together and knock off arkansas it's just another one of those sort of feathers in the tigers cap as well 
Well, let's look forward to next week's slate of games. And first thing I noticed is that the Tennessee Volunteers, who we've shit on for so long, are playing the Ohio Bobcats, the team that just beat Kansas this week. <laughs> so uh, it'll be a real opportunity for the Bobcats to get another big-time Power 5 win. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah. Yeah, so Tennessee's probably going to climb in the rankings. They're currently sitting at 17, but I'm going to go ahead, and as much as I despise the Volunteers, say that I believe that Tennessee will win that game. Yep, I would agree. So then um, Vanderbilt's still out of conference as well. They're going to be playing against Georgia Tech, who's 2-0. and on the young season out of the ACC, and I, um, I'm i going to go ahead and put the smart money on Georgia Tech. Yeah, I would agree. Georgia Tech plays that distinctive brand of football, you know, mm-hmm. running the veer and the, the option. Yeah, and I think they will run all over the Commodores. Yep, and so uh, next matchup is a, a two, it's an S- all-SEC matchup, two top 25 schools. Number one ranked Alabama is going up against number 19 Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss, I like, that like always likes to fancy themselves as a giant killer when they face Alabama because like they have done it once. Right. But I don't see Alabama didn't play nearly as well as they did last week, but they still were very convincing in their win this week. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Alabama. Yeah, I don't until you see something. I don't know that you ever pick against Alabama this year. Mm -hmm. I think it's just you're just going to take them until they lose a game. Yeah, it's Alabama and everybody else in the conference, really, this year. Yeah. Um, next matchup is the Battle of the Carolinas, East Carolina, which is not a state, and South Carolina, uh, the lowly SEC East opponent of ours. Yeah. So, Wouldn't uh, East Carolina be the ocean? <laughs> technically, I think so, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So it's South Carolina versus the ocean. Brian, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't know. South Carolina has not looked good. I mean, they knocked off Vandy in the first First week, but struggled this week, obviously. So I'll pick the upset. I'll, well, I don't even know if it's an upset. I don't know if the line is on that game yet. Fair I don't enough. think it's out. But I'll take the East versus the South. Okay, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll take South Carolina for no other reason other than just be contrarian. Next matchup, New Mexico State versus Kentucky. Kentucky is winless on the young season. New Mexico State sitting at 1-1. One and one. Thoughts? Yeah, well, this is this will be the game where we just where we find if, how bad Kentucky exactly. Is. Yeah. So this will tell us if Kentucky is really bad or really, really, really bad. Yeah, um, this will be their Eastern Michigan game, really. Like if like it was, it was defining for us if we played a really, really close game in Eastern Michigan, we'd know we were really in the stinker. But right, um, we managed to at least pass this test. So yeah, we'll, we'll see if Kentucky can do the same. So I'll take Kentucky in that because again, they should beat them right yeah fair enough i'm gonna do the same uh next matchup is lsu versus mississippi state yeah pretty sure that one's a no-brainer yeah lsu looked a lot better tonight and funny enough with a backup quarterback uh they seem to come back to life um and mississippi state is not looking sharp this this year so lsu across the board now we've got Auburn versus Texas A&M. Uh, Texas A&M is ranked 20th. That's probably going to go up after their big dominating performance uh, tonight. So your thoughts on that game? Yeah, Auburn has looked not bad. I mean, the first two games, they've they've looked fairly decent for supposedly being one of the worst teams in the SEC going into the year, which is a lot of, where a lot of analysts had them. But yeah, Texas A&M is, is picking up their game, and um, I think you got to stick with them. Yeah, I think that's a it's a no brainer there. Auburn is notoriously one of those schools that you just can't really 
predict at all. They're unpredictable. Um, North Texas versus Florida. I think we just skipped that one. Yeah. And then Arkansas versus Texas State. Same thing. Yep. Okay, so that gets us to our final matchup of the week. The University of Missouri versus the number nine Georgia Bulldogs at Furrow Field. Going into this week, I think every Missouri fan, every SEC fan, every everyone in the United States would say Georgia will roll over Missouri. Mm-hmm. Just it won't be an issue. And then Georgia played the way Georgia did at home. Mm-hmm. And everybody went, huh. Because if Georgia plays like that against Missouri, mm-hmm. I, they'll lose. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. You know, we made a huge strategic error tonight. What's that? I know Colin's not here to fire him up, but we have another analyst who we usually have for our uh, SEC coverage. Well, I was—I saw him sitting over in the corner, but I just didn't know because Colin, I, I mean, he looks kind of scary. I don't really want to touch him without Colin being I here. don't know exactly how it works. I'm, I'm going to try to fire him up, but I'm... Oh, shit. I did something wrong. Nick Saban. Hmm. So it's not really, yeah. Call Colin. Yeah, I'm smoking a little bit. I really shouldn't have done that. But anyway, uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt. If you're talking Georgia, Missouri. Yeah, so I think going into this week, everybody would have picked Georgia, hands down. Georgia. Oh, I guess he's still alive. Okay, yeah, so go ahead. I'm afraid, though, if I pick something that he doesn't like, he's going to come across his table at me. (laughs) But, uh, man, the way Georgia struggled... All of a sudden, this game goes from a sure Georgia win to a, hmm, interesting. I don't agree. Okay. Yeah. He's well. Still, he's not wearing well, but he's still cantankerous. Yeah. But I, I, if, I still have to pick Georgia to win. I think that they should win. I mean, Missouri is rebuilding, mm-hmm. and that's okay to say. Yeah, Georgia should win. But, man, if they play the way they did la- this week, they will lose next week. Not sure about that. Mm-hmm. I am actually very sure about well, that. Well, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to power you down. You're you're smoking. I don't know how you operate. It, you just don't seem you seem out of sorts. I I'm, I don't even know where I am anymore. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah, my thoughts on that game are it would be foolish to take Missouri as the victor. I know that Georgia did not look good, but I just, much like Tennessee last week and this week, I, I don't expect that sort of uh, crap performance two weeks straight. Yeah. And I just I don't have any faith in our defense, especially going up against a premier running back like Nick Chubb. Yeah. And that is the difference. And, and you know, all things being equal, that's the difference. I think um And I don't think they're gonna be equal. Yeah. So I mean that's just uh, Yeah, I mean I think that we can probably score on Georgia. I don't know. We're not going to score like we did tonight, but I think that we've shown that against uh, West Virginia and tonight that we have an offense capable of getting into the end zone when we need to. Or, you know, I know we only put up 11 points against West Virginia, but we moved Maybe the ball. Maybe not when we need to, yeah. but we can, as it, opposed it, it to is, last year yeah, when we weren't is, sure if it was possible. <laughs> it is possible. But I just I am very concerned about our defense against a, a team like Georgia. So until prove, they prove me otherwise, I am not going to take that bet. I'd say Georgia's going to win that motherfucker. Yeah, I agree. So what do you say we wrap this up, Brian? I think it's a late-night game. We're both exhausted. Uh, well, I guess we do have a few things on the agenda. we got a few awards to give out, and I think there's a segment we're bringing back from 2015. It's your Tweet of the Week. That's right. You know, we like to reward our uh, listeners, all, like, 4,000 or so of you. Mm-hmm. So uh, the big shout-out tonight goes to one Todd Franklin at tiger underscore todd one mm-hmm. and he also his little avatar profile picture there he rocks 
the uh, the Mazad cast tiger, as mm-hmm. I like to call it. Right. Which I'm sure is its official thing. Um, and he tweeted at us. He said, this presidential ticket is turning into a fucking quagmire. Pick a nominee and stick with him. Mm-hmm. Which we appreciate this tweet because if you followed tonight's game, every time a tiger would do well, he would declare him for president. Mm-hmm. And if it was, a, I think it's a bold declaration. It was year. very bold the first seven times that you did it. Mm-hmm. Probably the most clever time that you did it though was with Ishwater, where you decided that he shouldn't run for president but vice president. Mm-hmm. That was that was maybe an interesting. I couldn't thing. really just give him the full nod for the presidency. Yeah, no, I I understand. So my shout out goes to Todd. Todd, thank you for calling out Brendan with his Twitter shenanigans, and keep tweeting at us. Thank you, Todd. So on our next. Award, Brian, I think, this is the T.J. Moe Douche of the Week Award. And uh, this we reward each week to someone in the college football world who does has done something somewhat douche-erific. And we had awarded it to Post-Dispatch Rider a couple weeks ago. Last week we wrote it to, or we gave it to the LSU player who had a dirty, dirty play. And so do you have any candidates in mind for the Douche of the Week Award this year? This week? Man, you know, the only thing that jumps to my mind right now would have to be the ESPN SEC network commentators. Uh huh. Because they are just awful. And I realize that they're like the 47th commentator team down the ladder at ESPN because we just don't rate that high of, uh, you know, commentating team and mm-hmm. whatnot, but they were hard to listen to tonight. I don't know about you, but they were really hard to listen to. Well, they were bad, but uh, I would almost chalk it up more frustrating to whoever the programming director is for ESPN SEC Network. Oh, that's a good point. Bounced us around three different fucking channels in the course of an hour because Vanderbilt had been under a lightning warning, and so their game was delayed, which caused our game to not be able to air. And what irritated me was why they didn't move the fucking Vanderbilt game to SEC or ESPNU, ESPN News, instead of keeping us on the docket where we were supposed to be. Nobody knew where we were at any one time. And they didn't do a great job of telling you when they were going to move us, so they just bounced us to a different network. I can't believe we were on literally three different stations in one game. Good luck if you try to DVR this game. Yeah. Thanks a lot, ESPN SEC. Yeah, I, I think you're uh, you're right on with that one. Yeah, so the program directors, you are the douche of the week. Douche, douche of the week. week. Now, more positive award, Brian, would be the uh, the famous Kirk Farmer's Hair Player of the Game Award. Uh, Kirk Farmer's Hair is a thing of beauty. Yes. It's, it's spun gold, and it's just the most luxurious flowing locks one's ever seen, and, and that represents the Mizzou player who's played the best each week. And so Now it's time for oh. Kirk Farmer's Hair... Player of the game. Candidates, Brian, who would you say deserves the Kirk Farmer's Hair Player of the Week award this week? Well, I think there's one person who stood out in particular this week, and that would be Drew Locke. Threw mm-hmm. for 450 yards, five touchdowns, career best in, in both of those categories. In short career, but but he played really well, and I think he's earned it. And yes, this was not a great team that we played, but he looked good, like we've talked about. He's the bright spot on the team 
Yeah, and I think that's probably the obvious choice. Uh, some other contenders maybe I would mention are young Jonathan Johnson, who had uh, two big touchdown plays. That's a good point, One man. of those uh, re- those touchdown reception of Locke was really all Jonathan Johnson's doing. Uh, he caught that screen pass and took it all the way. 87 yards. 87 yards. Very impressive game for the young man. So, But all in all, I think you have to give it to the uh, starting quarterback who, who put up some record numbers tonight and just looked really good. So, Drew Locke, you are and, and a man who has pretty stunning locks in his own right. Drew Locke, you yeah, are. His hair has changed a little bit since yeah. last season. I'm not He's sure keeping, keeping it fresh. Yeah. He's keeping yeah. it fresh. You're the Kirk Farmer's hair player of the game. All right, Brian. That's a uh, long applause. Good applause. <laughs> Man, they really um, love they the love, yeah, Kirk love Drew Lock. Um, I think they love the hair. So we're going to wrap this up before next week. Want to remind our our listeners that uh, one of the most important things they can do to help us out is go on iTunes and give us some reviews. I we say it time and again. Don't be a lazy bastard. It's not hard to do it. Just get on iTunes. If I can do it. We're available now on uh, Google Play and uh, wherever fine podcasts are sold. But uh, another thing you can do is go to our website. We do have a listener survey, and this is really helpful because uh, it helps us draw on advertisers because it tells us demographic information about our listeners, and it also gives you guys an opportunity to tell us what you like and what you dislike about the show, which is, uh, I'm sure, fun for you and uh, yeah. really demoralizing for Brian because it's pretty much focused on him, the negativity. So, um, But send, us, send, send those in. We appreciate it. And then always tweeted us at the Mazadcast. So any final thoughts, Brian? You know, one thing that I was going to mention, that fun little water cooler talk for tomorrow, is Eastern Michigan in their first game put up 61 points. Eastern Michigan in their second game gave up 61 points. Mm -hmm. I see a theme. Seems like maybe a different level of competition. (laughs) So we'll face a different level of competition next week when we face Georgia. Until then, I'm Brendan. This is Brian. Colin's stuck somewhere. In Michigan, and this has been the Mazodcast M I Z Z O U. I'm ready, brother. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.